Because <clears throat> when we observe feelings and we start to really look at them, and then we begin to ask the true question, is that actually who I am and how I feel? And if it's a yes, no. And then if the answer comes no, well then what am I and how do I actually feel? This is a very good question. In a lot of ways, this is the question that contemplative practices such as meditation really asks. Because the opportunity which always arises is that the element of mind which is searching for answers will connect itself to something which is known. So a known point in time which then can anchor and ground it into something. This is what the mind's thirst is. As much as it is so subtle and free, it wants to ground into something. So something from the past, something that someone said, something that is a recognizable emotion is often an easy go-to for a question to then have an answer. So within that process of asking, well, how actually do I feel? We get to sift through and release, relinquish all that we are not to then get to the root of true sensation, which is beautiful. It's talked about as asana, so posture, a very specific pose. That specific pose actually is you in your body it is a very specific pose and within that posture it is a conduit of expressive information so with this conduit aligned in a very specific way we don't necessarily need to speak in terms of razor straight spines or wide shoulders meditative pose but in any organic movement of posture with a very specific alignment will then stimulate avenues of communication. And this is something that I feel is very precious to human beings as individuals, but also as we're developing as collective. Once we really gain an opportunity to realize what that means, that. I am orchestrating a pathway of communication so that then the inspiration of my breathing, the energy of my breathing can then land and meet something, have a direction. And it might sound subtle, but it is that level of communication that we work on all of the time. So it's straddling this conscious subconscious reality so that which we see and know and that which is happening just underneath and behind the scenes and when we begin to really connect to that just that rhythm between those two points your posture and your breathing begins to manifest sometimes an explained sensation but oftentimes there's not even words to explain it. And this is often why we uh, divert to 
already known sensation experiences and levels because that which we feel which is being driven by our breathing almost has no words so in the contemplative practices in the wisdom traditions we really look at that and develop explanation around it for ourselves oftentimes in the form of metaphor if someone is attempting to explain but as a direct experiencer, it is exactly that. Within the direct experience, we want to relate to it. There's no words needed. There's no categorizing that must happen or labeling. Just simply being in the experience of. And then allow that then to stimulate these fields of mind, which is orchestrating the state of your being. So feeling then manifests into a state of being, a state of mind. Mm -hmm. so feeling is connected to the intelligence of emotion, which is a huge, huge piece. Mind is connected to the intellect. And both the intelligence emotion and the mind's intellect is connecting to a, a higher form of mind which is beyond the thinking questioning, beyond the sifting, which then gives us an opportunity to really mirror something which is greater than who we are as an individual experiencer. Very fascinating. This whole premise is considered to be a practice, this premise of posture, breathing, and then allowing the mind just in its own clarity reflect something to create a state. So that just in itself can become a whole practice. And then the individual becomes very balanced in discipline to foster for or care for that space which is being created within the mind. Prana, can you make sure those are turned down? Thank you. So it's realistic to accept the fact that we are all here in this body because we want something. And I think that that's okay. <laughs> we definitely want something. When, again, we look at the wisdom tradition, often there's conversation of selflessness and releasing these wants. And I, I do very much agree with that. And oftentimes I believe that when we look at this very ancient writing uh, and begin to interpret it, we have to really realize that the individuals who are speaking have actually achieved the goal of true want and need. And that's a thing. 
we must achieve that goal of true want and need because it's built in, it's hardwired into who we are. And it just, it goes into the most fundamental function of our human being, meaning we want and need to eat food. We want and need to drink water. But we want and need on every element of our human experience. <clears throat> so what I'm really interested in these days is what is that? What is that that you are wishing for? What is that? So um, oftentimes, most of us know right away. But it comes in the form of a small want. So this little one might be considered in the realm of the mundane. Might be a car or a piece of clothing. It actually does not matter what this want is. Because if it must be satiated, must be satisfied, then it must be achieved. If it is not actually a true want, and it's in this realm of superimposition, can I say it that way? I'm going to say it that way. From unknown or known sources. So it's not really what we want, but we think we want it. Just like it's not really how we feel, but we think this is how we feel. Same, same then it will be charged for a period of time, charged, and then it will just dissipate. So to the developing skilled mind, meaning a mind which knows themselves on a certain level, that individual can really discern quickly. So some, I don't necessarily want that, that's an influence from something that I saw, and it dissipates. So then what's left behind is authentically, truly what it is that you wish to and, and in a sense need to achieve. So these small achievable experiences then begin to build and develop momentum into greater and greater pieces. I believe where the level of importance is at this moment in time is to become very grounded in your ability to analyze mind, thought, emotion, feeling around that object. and allow that relationship to cultivate in such a way that the mind and the body begin to work on the same playing field. So that which you feel as an emotional relationship, as an intelligence, and then that which you see from the thought-formed intellect is now becoming one and the same thing.
the thread that is going to bring the two together, that of mind thought and that of body feeling, is this rhythm of breathing. And we can feel it right now as soon as you take a conscious exhale. What does the mind do? And now as you take a conscious inhale, what does the mind do? And if you can repeat that, what is the nature of mind within the state of attention within the breathing? How long can you maintain it until you drift off? And when you drift off, where are you going? Is where you go constructive? For what you know is important and that you must attain. It's probably very valuable to examine the fact that we might not necessarily know what we truly want. And this is a part of the peace that is keeping us in a state of confusion. So this realm of holding on to things that are not truly what we are or who we are. So the constant solution that has been around for a very long time is to get the body, breath, mind to a subtlety where matter is spacious. So there's a quality of nothingness which is existing. And then within that subtlety is actually the secrets of who you truly are, to be a little bit poetic. But on a more practical level, it is a still point, but not just still, a very active, dynamic still point within the mind where it can actually begin to hear itself clearly. And just for a little coloring, we all know how that feels when we're inundated with outside noise, or inside noise, and we just actually need a break from it so that then we can connect to the solution, whatever that may be. So in that same function, we exist constantly. So that we have micro, macro, and we're one thing, just expanding and contracting. We expand as far as we can see and we contract as deeply as we could potentially go. But there's an infinite 
within both, which we know intellectually and we are understanding more and more every day. What's interesting about this expansion is that it's never ending. And that's obvious, but this contraction is a little bit less obvious. But what's interesting is as the measurement gets smaller and smaller, the space just gets bigger and bigger. So there's greater and greater and greater and greater and greater space. So that means the deeper we go inside, 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 the greater and greater and greater and greater and greater space emerges. So this manifests for us on an everyday basis as we sit inside of our bodies and we just go to the center of the tissue of the body, all of a sudden there's more space. When I move close to the alignment of my spine, relax the body, ah. But if I spend too much time in my, my muscular system, on the more periphery points of my body, then the muscle begins to become more tense. And within that tension, there's less and less space. The matter becomes real, defined. So we want to reach an undefined place. Now this is very attainable. This is not unordinary magic. It's ordinary magic. This is very attainable experiences, very attainable states. What we must factor in is that when we close our eyes to sit in meditation, that is the truth. It is it, what you see in front of you. <laughs> and if it's persistent, it's only persistent because it's never actually been truly asked or guided as to how to do something differently. So within that, we must accept. And as soon as we accept and we close our eyes, then all of a sudden there's an incredible expansion that occurs. Because the reality is, is that then whatever is manifesting as a thought can keep going. And we can just simply focus on the space which you see right there. And this is a simple analogy, but this is really important because if you are looking at me, you can see me. But if you don't look at me, you cannot see me anymore. Yes? It's so simple, but try it. So then when we choose to look at something, then that's what you're going to see. The second thing is that 
if you stopped looking at me, if you just all turned around, turned your back on me and looked the other way, I would eventually stop talking. Eventually. But I would probably keep it up for a little while. But, and this is interesting because we do this all the time with ourselves. So if you actually stopped looking at that, which you've already determined and know is destructive or no longer good, it will cease to communicate with you any longer. And if I had a conversation with probably everyone in this room, and then I said, okay, well, Let's get real, earnestly. Have you ever done that? Or does it always hook you back in to just keep watching and listening? Yes or no? Probably there's a high chance that many individuals, not just in this room, but just in general, always go back to this watching of that. So it's the consistency that we're looking for. The consistency of re-engagement again and again and again into a quality of not thought image within mind because that's very tiresome to keep bringing up again and again and again and again and again this thought that is your future. But rather leaning into the emotional intelligence. Developing the intellect to connect to the reality which encapsulates all that you wish to achieve, but you do not yet have words for it. Does this make sense? So it's becoming connected to a greater subtlety than that which is manifested matter, so which holds all of the keys to your achievement and attainment. So in effect, what we're doing is we're training on two levels. One is conscious, so meaning you're awake, you're present, you're seeing, and now you're training yourself to effectively let go and engage with the subtlety in front of you and all around you that is in your body and in your breathing. And because you're doing that, you're effectively influencing, because of the consist constant of it, you're influencing that which is subconscious. And if we're really disciplined with it, this now subconscious activity begins to then present thoughts within your conscious mind that are in support of this subtle space that you yet to have language for. And now begins to fill your mind the questioning mind with the clear answers as to what is that in the form of want and in the form of need. So because habit begins to shift, your habits are shifting, then of course the needs will then shift. If you're working your body out a lot, you need to drink more water. This is just the truth. You actually want to drink more water. So this is now all pertaining 
to the developing of your meditation because really that's <clears throat> why we're here at this moment in time. And at the heights, and I believe that we should just start there, but within this room we have many different levels of uh, meditation just because of length of time but we all start and finish at the same place so at the height of a developing meditation practice the experience is of a quality where the body breath mind become one thing one space that's it body breath mind become one and they're reflecting the quantum fields, which are the ether planes, plural. So many, many, many subtle ether planes. Within this oneness, thoughts cease to be distracting. And we want to achieve this as soon as we possibly can. And we want to then maintain it to the best of our ability. It's important to know that this is not foreign to our human biological makeup. This is actually all built in. It comes out of this human biology. The chemistry, the hormones, all of these things is actually in support of this achievement. So within the three, the body, breath, mind, you are going to definitely, naturally fall into one of these categories for your meditation tonight. Either your meditation is going to naturally be focused on you physically, your body, its comfort and relaxation, or your meditation is going to naturally rest into your breathing and the attention that it's developing. Or naturally, your meditation is going to go to your mind and its ability to concentrate. It does not matter where you exist within that, because it moves. And we have to understand that when I'm speaking of body, breath, mind, this is a highlighted experience. So that's what you as the observer become focused on but you will still realize that you have a body and you will still realize that you have a breath. Does this make sense? But what we wish to achieve within any of these three experiences is that quality of spaciousness where what you are seeing or feeling is that mysterious something that we cannot quite put words on. So then what I'm asking is for you to hold your body in such a way for that achievement to occur, that attainment to become a reality. For you to breathe in such a way for that to become a reality. <clears throat> and for you to hold your concentration of mind in order to achieve that reality. What is interesting is that a formal step to this ability to concentrate 
and this ultimate ability to meditate is something called sense withdrawal. So in Sanskrit, it's pratyahara. So pratyahara is a real thing. Pratyahara means that our senses are attracted to something outside of the self. And when we say self, we're talking about the ultimate experience of who we are, self. The senses can be attracted to something external. And this external is also what we consider to be internal. So it can be outside of the body, but it's also a thought. It's also a memory. It's also an emotion. And the pratyahara exists within the body, it exists within the breath, and it exists within the mind. So if your meditation is naturally revolving around the anamaya kosha, this physical reality, what is then going to be pressed out as a byproduct is everything that you get an opportunity to look at. That's just going to naturally happen. And they're very shiny, they're very interesting. And this is instruction even for the very advanced in terms of ability to sit for long periods of time. As they emerge, the attitude towards it is what's really important because that's the developmental lesson. We're attempting to get to a very specific place. So know that when you close your eyes, what you see is it. This is the Pratyahara practice come to full bloom and everything is now beginning to clear. So clear, so we must hold ourselves in a very special way physically, energetically, which means the flow of your breathing, and mentally, in a very specific way, that only you know. And we want to be the demonstrator of that. We want to reflect that of the higher mind, so that of this knowing place, this known place, to fill the questioning mind with how. And we want to be really diligent on it because it's consistency. If I want to build a muscle, I say, I'm going to work out, just throw a few weights around, and then not do it for another week, and then throw a couple of weights around. <laughs> you get the idea. Then it's kind of a slow-moving train. But if I were to do it every day, then all of a sudden it would start to really shift and change. So the last piece that I want to talk on before we sit and take a few questions is, and this is not meant to sound intimidating or scary in any way, shape, or form, so forgive me if it does 
stimulate that inside of you somehow. <clears throat> but it is worthwhile to look at the reality of our mind as being much more connected than what we think or what we choose to believe. There's a possibility that if we begin to shift the way that we see the mind, meaning taking it out of this realm of just kind of do whatever you want, your own space, just literally just doing whatever you want with it, into a, a, a rung of respect of its magnetic genius and connectivity to everything which exists beyond you as an individual. So these quantum fields, these ether planes, you're the viewer and the relationship within all of that higher form knowledge actually starts within mind. So mind could then arguably be the first rung of any astral activity. And I think that that's really worthwhile to look at, especially when we start to connect to everything that is of mystery, that it really intrigues the human being in terms of who am I, where do I come from, and why am I here, exists within that quantum field of reality. All these answers. And using meditation as a means to achieving that level of relationship with the mind so that it no longer just is doing what the family tree has been doing for so very long and now becomes like a very sharp blade within this present moment because there's lots happening right now. The range of the nervous system is wild. We just start exercising it. So these are the points that I really wanted to share with you today. Any questions on that? Or anything really, doesn't matter. Good evening. Hello, sir. Okay, you mentioned the quantum realm. Yes. Which is infinite possibilities. Yes. Which is the divine love, universe, God, whatever you want to put on that. I believe everything, yeah, could fall into that category. Right. Okay, so where in the process, uh, maybe not a good word, but I'll use it anyway, of, sure. of the meditation, the different things you talked about tonight, mm -hmm. of feelings, mm -hmm. of emotions. Mm -hmm. How does that tie in? Because the pineal gland mm -hmm. has ability to connect with that quantum realm through electro and magnetic. So magnetic 
is raised emotions, which is love, gratitude, and electrical is our thoughts. So where or does that play in, or how does that play into it? Because there's, you're talking about this connection, but to me there's, there's a disconnect in there. Like, does it not have to be through the pineal gland? All of those master glands and the nervous system is actually how we communicate with everything. So this is actually how our whole system operates. Mm -hmm. And it's communicating with the field around us. So even when you look at a cell, the cell exists within fluid and there's fluid on the inside and outside of that wall and then there's these little pieces on the inside that then move up towards the inner wall and send out a signal to then attract what it needs to then draw from, from the outside of the wall. So in a sense, we are a closed loop system in terms of physical reality, but then we draw to us that which we need from this quantum reality or that which we, we can access. So when you think of the electrical current piece, then you're talking about the spine and that central housing system of communication. And when we look at it in the form of meditation, we want to identify with that furthest outreach point so that then what we are providing into the nervous system is new levels of nutrients new experiences that we've never had before so that we start to exercise the range and the ability of this electro current mm -hmm. which then begins to stimulate that magnetic field that emotional piece because then we start to release that which is not important so because we are a closed loop we tend to lean in that direction so it has already been experienced before we feel right at home in. So this electromagnetic current is actually recycling. And when we start to reach into the quantum fields, these ether planes of this which exists in beyond this thinking, questioning mind, we're now giving fresh flow of information. That makes sense? Uh, yeah, yeah. So... Um with thoughts mm -hmm. and heightened emotions and putting your attention, just like shock points, if you put attention on each one, you can, mm -hmm. you can feel them. With the pineal gland, you can actually activate that. So, but when you're having thoughts, your mind is not being quiet, it's in meditation. So, still exists though, the stimulation of the pineal gland will still exist okay. mm -hmm, throughout the whole day and the night. And it's just the, the other chemicals within the body like cortisol and things like this that are not necessarily so good 
or balancing for us, then we want to keep on the lower side. And we want to increase other chemicals within the body, serotonin and all of these other chemicals that they talk about, HDMA and all of that, so that then we are always in an enabled reality to connect to that vibration field which is progressive. Mm -hmm. And then when you talk about uh, stimulating pineal gland, when you close your eyes and you just gaze right here, there's a strong ability to stimulate. There's lots of conversation around how it's light sensitive. Mm -hmm. And with this light sensitivity, it is actually stimulated not just with outer light, but inner light. So when you close your eyes and you can see that light that exists there. It's a known fact on a subjective level. So it has a profound influence and effect. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's, that's you. You're very welcome. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Hello. I have two questions for you. Please. Um, they're both a, a little bit practical. The first one is I've just noticed over the few months of like my practice at Safa, there's a lot of um, uh, attention on focusing on the third eye chakra. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering why that's a particular focus and if that has to do with it being like would different chakras have different levels of importance? Or like, I don't really know if that's the question I want to ask, but why is that something that is consistent rather than a shifting on the focus on different chakras? Yes. And then the second question is during pranayama, why do we always use our right hand even though we switch entrance and exit? Why don't we ever lift our left hand? This is a good, these are both very good questions. Because <laughs> I always, like my... My thinking mind wants to balance out the use of both arms, but I, I'm pretty sure that people have developed that it's only the right hand for a reason that I just don't know. So. Yes, so uh, I guess that I'll take the second question first. The reason uh, for the right hand is a lot to do with tradition. And two things. One, generally all more sacred things you would do with the right hand. Not to say that all of life is not sacred, but then that which would maybe be more related to washing something, you would do with the left hand. So it's kind of that simple. I'm also left-handed, so I'm always kind of left-handed. Tricky. But then you just get really good with both. And the second thing is that all good things then come from the right and all of the more wily magic comes from the left. Now that being said, there's no rule that says, like hard and fast rule in the West, that says you cannot actually use your left hand. There's just those two large pieces and you could experiment and just see what will happen if you use your left hand. 
And I think that's a worthwhile experiment to take. Uh, your second question uh, is a drishti. This is a focal point. It's not necessarily even speaking to the chakra itself, but more as a pratyahara and developing your gaze to look inward. Inward meaning when you're doing the physical practice at your body so that it is the viewer so you can see without distraction of anything around you what your body is actually doing. And it's a, an, an incredible healing tool to become well-versed enough in that simple fact that you begin to trust it. Because then you're right there at the pulse of your practice and seeing how deep you're going and then what level of breath you need, how intense, how soft, where else do you need to direct the sensation of the posture just by a slight pressure through the inner heel of the left only or the outer heel of both or the mound of the big toe or the left leg just has to internally rotate by 3% and getting, becoming very detailed and that you're seeing everything working through your body on such a very high level which is the nervous system, which is the glandular system so that then you begin to form a sensation thread that is then constant from one posture to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. This prolonged exposure becomes incredibly useful. Now for that ajna piece of the chakra, it actually also has that same function because it is considered to be the gateway to the teacher. So this wisdom, understanding, knowledge actually comes through this ajna. So as we develop it more and more, we actually slip into this answering mind more quickly and have darshan, so to speak, this interface with that teacher which exists within us. And we all have it. You ask a question every day and you receive an answer every day. Who is giving you this answer? your true guru. So this is the chakra that actually moves through the, the uh, alignment of the teacher. Mm -hmm. That's it. Can I ask one more? Of course. Um, you, you, your answer has made me remind me I've had another practical question for a while, which is like when we're practicing in a studio like this in group, um, I often wonder about like um, the unison of, of breath in the room and like what is the what is the etiquette on like remaining in, in unison movement with everyone else with the same breath timing when we all have different bodies and might be requiring um, like a different kind of breath in that moment. Do you get what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like is it is there like a level of etiquette of what it means to stay with the flow of a group versus in the transitions it's really good. But uh, you're right that every human being is a snowflake. And within that very individual and there is uh, signatures. So a breath signature is individual-based. And how we work with that is we take pauses. So when we 
inhale into upward facing dog, for instance, there's that pause so that then the stronger practitioner can actually stay there longer. And then a newer practitioner actually has time to get there. And it just so happens it times out at that same time where the breath peaks right here. And then there's that pause and then we move into the next. So an individual actually can retain that intelligence of what they need. When it comes to the posture itself, an individual should take as many breaths as they need to get into the posture. Mm -hmm. Which, again, works to the advantage of an all-level experience. There's many levels, so um, a more seasoned practitioner can hear the name of the posture and just go straight into it and then stay there from that moment onwards, where then a newer practitioner can hear the name and be like, well, what, what was that? And then get all of the rest of the pieces of instruction and take as many breaths and as much time as they need to get there. And then generally that's when the breath count starts. So that's how we work around it. Now to the question of how important is it, in the way that I was uh, taught how to practice, it's actually really important in group class. That continuity is really important because it, it keeps it very simple, zen-like, mm -hmm. so that there's not too much distraction because that's really what we're going for is this ability to concentrate and pull the senses away from everything which is distracting. Mm -hmm. You're very welcome. Last questions, anywhere? Hey, Ramin. Hi. I don't know if this is a simple question or not, but um, what is this? What is this? This whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I start, you know, I start whenever I ask myself the question, uh, or tell myself that I exist, or any of this exists, it starts to feel very. Rana, would you mind opening the door? Paradoxical. Yes. And like. Mm hmm. How is it even possible? It is it's really a miracle. The All the way? Simply is. Yeah. Well, this is a good question. The, the simplest answer is everything and nothing. This is everything, and this is also nothing. It is everything that you see, but is actually nothing exists as you go smaller and smaller. And the thing is, if I understood what you're saying, I probably wouldn't have to ask the question. Yeah, well, it's you and everybody. We, as a human species, are actually really working quite diligently to understand what that means exactly. So what we do have is subjective experience of that equation. All and nothing. Which is very helpful if one doesn't go into this whole existential thing. But on a greater level, everything is actually happening all at once. Mm. 
and on a protonic particle level, we are reflecting the entire universe. This is on the most expanded form. This whole thing is actually happening all right now. And we are just this one tiny reflection of reality now that we have formed as what it is across a very long expanded period of time. We've developed this through family tree, passing down behavioral, so that we see things in a very specific way. This is it. This is how we've developed ourselves how to see. But we're moving very quickly. We are changing in how we see things all of the time. Mm -hmm. So this is actually a, a projection. Right. Mm -hmm. When you close your eyes, there's nothing there. There's actually nothing. When you open it, it all appears in front of you. When you decide that something is done, it's done, it no longer exists. When you decide something is here, it's everything. And so that's on mental, emotional, spiritual. Mm -hmm. Got another question. Please. So it's kind of along the terms of, I start to get the sense that I'm really alone, mm -hmm. also not alone, as if this is all me. Mm -hmm. Is there only one? Is there just ego and none? Just the illusion and the non-illusion? Is there separate egos running around or is there just ego? It is separate, yeah, because you are an individual. So you are alone. But I mean from a less and at the perspective. From a less what, sorry? Like, from a less individualistic perspective, I get a kind of a sense there's just just ego and not just ego but I don't see separate people running around mm -hmm. less and less yes it's all an experience of my own mind my own conflicts my own yes yes everything about any perception I have about anybody else uh -huh. is my you own internal is my own it's just ego yes and that's a very good place to be because then you see a clear reflection in everything and everyone around you. And the, this ego piece is under this category of ahamkara. So this ahamkara is this will of self-identification to, to will something into reality, is it. And then we flex that, which then becomes a projection onto everything around us because we were willing it into manifestation. Mm -hmm. The other piece to that is the expanded uh, form of self, which is not so concerned with the self-identification of but more concerned with the collective format. So this all is one piece. And 
that's where you can then easily see ego and non-ego. So this non-ego piece is more interested in the equation of the sensation which doesn't have words rather than that which has already been defined. So that which has already been defined is this piece of us that needs it. So there's not negative or positive. Actually, they're both really, really healthy and important. But what's really important is for the ego to be satisfied with what it wants and needs on a very true, true level so that then it can actually go to rest and then bring room because its function is to protect and make sure you're okay for this higher mind to now start to exercise itself with all of its beauty and all of the faculties that we have present without distraction. Mm -hmm. So this is ego, non-ego. Yeah. Lately I've started to become aware of a process that I'm kind of starting to go through is to integrate the non-egoness with my ego and, and how I relate from a non-separate place with everybody and everything that I'm getting glimpses of but still be able to acknowledge the separateness that is there I think that together. that's very healthy so that's that higher answering mind then having an opportunity to speak okay. and instruct okay. this questioning mind on how to act more in harmony and alignment with. And then that's very good. That's exactly it. And that's why the Vipassana meditation, that big retreat, is so very important. And also that's why regular meditation is so uh, beneficial. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Okay. Are you ready? Karma? Uh, I do. <laughs> you, you just haven't known me for long enough, I think. But uh, karma, karma is so many things. Mm -hmm. It's actually a big discussion. But in its simplicity, it is your relationship with all things. So some of that karma is hard-lined. It's you're here, you're going, it's happening. And the other form of that karma is variable experience. So you do something and then there's a cause and effect to everything that, that you do. Mm -hmm. A lot that is experienced within that is actually sorted out through the relationship of oneself. Because there's some things that we can alter and change within this reality at this moment in time, and there's other pieces that we cannot. So then it expands into an even larger conversation of this uh, dharmic path, dharm or adharm. So you're either on in the alignment or you're out of alignment.
that sometimes there are issues that we have to confront mm -hmm. I again I do but just not I think in the span of time that we've known each other and I often look at it in the same way that if this relationship to oneself is actually cultivated an authentic relationship with oneself then what begins to manifest outwardly is actually that. So when we say compassion, you, we must really be clear that compassion is not necessarily pacifism. We're not necessarily just being pacifists. But it is the honoring of a truth while recognizing that there is other views that are being experienced. And then it becomes an, an amazing conversation. So to begin to live compassionately is to accept everything as it is with a reality that there's something more that exists just beneath or beyond that. So a range of an individual, their capacity, our our society, my mind, anything. It's a really good conversation to have. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay, are you ready? There's really one piece of instruction. So this is in an instructional class today. And every day should really feel like instruction class. And that is nothing. If something is there, it can be dissolved. And that goes on for a very, very long time. It can go on for a very, very long time. So if something is there, we allow to dissolve to nothing. We want to align body, breath, mind as one space sensation. You are going to have an opportunity to visit either body as your hub highlight, breath highlight, or mind highlight. Accept that. Dissolve whatever you see or feel into nothing. Through relaxation, attention, relaxation of body, attention or awareness of breathing, so you're watching the breathing, if that's what you're working on, or the concentration of mind into the stillness which exists between thought. That's it. Please close your eyes.
Keeping the eyes closed, spring full deep breaths into the body. Keeping the eyes closed, maintain a gaze into this space, this dynamic quality of space just there. Cancel out any thought. Starting now. Keeping the eyes closed, soften the gaze. And gently, slowly, now the eyes can open. I feel we can just keep pushing longer and longer sets, longer and longer sets on Wednesday. Longer and longer and longer and longer sets. Begin to recognize where you're at. Body, breath, mind, or dynamic stillness. One of these four points. And then we'll start to fill in what that means. and We'll just keep pushing longer and longer sets. The uh, a very helpful question to ask yourself as we are developing the ability to maintain the connection to this space is a simple question, where are you going? Direction is very important, as we know on a, a very individual level. So if there was no words for it, we were not allowed to use this dialogue to answer to ourselves, where are we going? But it was deeper than that. Again, going to this place without words. Can you show me? Where are you going? And then how does that live inside of you? as a physical alignment, as a rhythm within your breathing, and a space, a state of mind. 
constantly moving forward, which we are, hurling through space right now, trillions of kilometers per hour, billions of kilometers a year moving. It's really amazing. We're going somewhere most definitely. Thank you very much, everyone. Enjoy your evening. Namaste.